0: Welcome to the Maximum Mom podcast, and today I am like so excited. Y'all just don't even know how excited I am
1: to have Hillary Walsh join me today. Welcome, Hillary. You think you're excited? I am more excited. I'm going to up no. you on the excitement level. <laughs> no way, impossible.
0: <laughs> Hillary is the owner of New Frontier Immigration Law. A former foster care and juvie-kid turned lawyer, Hillary Walsh helps immigrant families live free in the United States. Outside of New Frontier, she's an adjunct law professor, mother of four, who I just love, Military wife, I can relate to that, and an avid Phoenix Suns fan. In the past 10 plus years of practicing immigration law, she's represented clients before the U.S. Supreme Court, the Supreme Court of Nevada, the Ninth Circuit, and the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the Board of Immigration and the Immigration Courts nationwide. Now, did you love that Fifth
1: Circuit Court of Appeals? That's my homeland. I got my teeth kicked in there, so, you know, immigrants don't have a whole lot of rights in Texas, unfortunately. So no, not
0: at all. <laughs> okay well Hillary first I mean I always like to get started with tell us about your family just tell us who makes you a mom and what is going on in your home
1: yes my kids are I have nine-year-old twins Ryan and Evie Ryan is a girl she's named after my cousin Ryan who was killed in action a few years ago he introduced my husband and I and always joked that we had to um, name our firstborn after him and so Sadly, he didn't get to meet his namesake, but we have a little girl named Ryan after my cousin Ryan, and that's been a really fun thing for her to know about and to cherish and relish. Evie is her twin sister. Evie is a blast and very reckless and and fearless and is probably going to be the kid who at like 10 years old is jumping out of airplanes. She's that kind of kid. Lucy is my 7-year-old surprise. I was unable to have kids on my own or with with Sean's help. Neither of us could do it. We had to do in vitro and that's how we had twins. Then the computer was reset. We got a Lucy, so I had 3 kids under 2 years old while living alone in Korea. So it was a trip. And then Lincoln is my I mean, there's always a kid in every family who just breaks the parents, like totally wears them down. And Lincoln is 100% that kid. He is a bull in a china closet or whatever phrase you want to use, but he is a mama's boy. And I hope that like, I hope it never changes. So that's my family. Those are my people.
0: Love that. Gosh, I love your descriptions. I mean, that's just, it's so true. You're so right how we all have one. <laughs> Those, yeah, everybody, every family has one. Everyone, we do. I mean, we have one, and he was just here this weekend. It's the same thing. Just even having him here this weekend as he's diving off things, I'm like, you do have to worry about the depth of the water under there. And then he's back flipping off of things, putting mud in the hot tub. (laughs) I'm like, oh my God. And he's a grown-up. <laughs> he's a grown up. I love it.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Everyone, I mean, yesterday I was laying on the couch and I had, you know, convinced uh, Ryan, my nine-year-old, to give me a foot rub the night before. I just kind of like popped down and I just put my feet kind of on her lap while she was watching a movie and she started rubbing my feet. And I was like, this is awesome. The next day, Lincoln, four-year-old, comes around and he puts his feet Right here, as I'm laying on the couch, one foot on my face and one foot's like shaking it in front of me. And my husband's like, I don't know how you're ever going to be happy with a spouse. Like no man or woman is ever going to please you when your mother allows you to put your dirty feet on her face and she rubs them. <laughs> so he breaks me like he's a force to be reckoned with, but he's also just, he can't get away with murder.
0: <laughs> I love that. And that he's got three older sisters too. Yes. yes. That has to be a fascinating dynamic.
1: Yes. Usually, you know, so far we've had every year has been we have four princesses at Halloween because he doesn't want to be like, to be fair, boy costumes at at Halloween, they're either really scary or they're just boring. But princess costumes are always fun. So we usually have four princesses. We'll see what we what we come up with this year. And people will be like, oh, my gosh, you have four daughters. I can't imagine. And my husband's like, me either. I don't know.
0: (laughs) What can I tell you? (laughs) Oh my gosh, well, we had the reverse. So we had one girl and then three boys And so, I mean, I didn't realize at first, you know, so I would buy all these things for my daughter, like pink things or princess this or princess that. So I did not think this through well. So there we are living in New Orleans. We'd go snow skiing. She had all these pink, adorable things. So then when it came time for my son to go, I'm thinking, well, I'm not buying more ski clothes. Like obviously you're wearing the cute pink, adorable things. So he just completely got used to, you know, he'd be like, whatever, you know, mom's putting me in this pink ski suit cool with it. <laughs> it's just like, you're fine. But then, you know, I decided, okay, I guess I better not be so gendered in my shopping. Yeah, I know
1: what you mean. And it, it is, it's amazing how uh, we were even doing back to school haircuts. And there was no question in my mind, like, as I started typing into Pinterest, little boy haircut. And it's like, who made this up? And why am I just consuming it and just getting in line. I mean, don't get me wrong. He got a cute little boy haircut he's adorable, but it, it, it's one of those things where we are very gendered in what we do. We sure
0: are. We really are. Well, one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about is when I think of all the things I see you doing and you evolving in, in your life. I mean, I would love to hear about how do you marry the things you're doing with four kids? I mean, it is different to have four kids than one or two. Let's be serious. I mean, how do you handle the children, the firm, your home? I mean, your husband, I'm assuming as a a fighter pilot is probably gone a fair amount of the time, or at least has been. I mean, how do you deal with all this? How do you juggle all this and make it work?
1: Oh, I'm thinking through that. And I'm not really sure. The the good thing is, is, you know, you get usually for us, we got two kids at a time initially, but you get one kid (laughs) at a time and you kind of figure it out. But we hire a lot of help. And Mm -hmm. I think that that is critical to not fighting with your husband all the time or your partner about responsibilities. We have a marriage coach, marriage counselor, who helps keep us accountable on not keeping score. Mm -hmm. Because I think that is really toxic to relationships. And it's something that we have done. We've been married for 17 years this year, 18 years, um, and engaged for a year before that. We've been together since I was 19. So however long ago that was. And for all of those years, we have very much been people who kept score. It was like, I got up with the kids yesterday, it's your turn. Mm -hmm. But your turn and my turn implies that we're not on the same team and that we're not one shared resource. So just because I got up with the kids yesterday, well, my husband, yeah, he does work really crazy hours. And so Mm -hmm. he might get home at four o'clock in the morning. It would be completely out of integrity. And I used to still do it even though it was out of integrity because I could be right by saying, well, I did it yesterday you do it today. But if we're a shared resource, like one battery pack, and mm-hmm. if I'm just depleting my battery pack in order to be right, that leads us to a, a big problem. And I think that that has been, you know, not keeping score and not having your turn, my turn has really been how we've prevented more fallout um, mm-hmm. and how we've been able to do all of the things because we're on the same team. That is Powerful. I love the thought of a shared resource, a shared battery pack. I mean, yeah, and that's not my original thought by any means. Abby Medcalf is our marriage counselor, coach, whatever you want to call her. And she was recommended to me by Steph Tuss, who Mm -hmm. works with David Nagel and is just fantastic herself. She's who recommended Abby to me. And Abby has a great podcast, and her book is fantastic. And so much of you know, a relationship working as an inside job, which I hate. I wish that it was the other person's fault, but it's not. And working with her has been really transformational for us. And I think that You can hire all the help in the world, but you can still find things to quibble over if you're not on the same team, if you're keeping score and working with her has really helped us to get unified. And it's like, I love basketball and, you know, the Suns for the past couple of years have gone really far and we thought that they were going to, they thought we were going to get rings, but then we didn't for the past couple of years. But at the end of the day, if, if only one player was taking all the shots you just don't win. So I want to win. That means we have to win. Right. And my kids have to win as well. So that has been so helpful to us. I think that is, we can't do it all, but we can do a lot of things together really well. Yeah. Well, you mentioned working with David
0: Nagel. I mean, I have to inquire as to that. I mean, because I find his work, his thoughts, his just all the things to be really powerful. Tell us about your work with David Nagel. How did that come about? What have you gotten out of it? I mean, how has it helped your business, your family? And yeah, you mentioned a little bit. I mean, family, it's but- like
1: the golden thread that you pull back. And I moved back to the US. My, my family moved back to the US in late 2018. I guess it was August 2018. So we're almost on our, is that four years ago? Yeah. Something like that? Crazy. Yeah. And we had been overseas for, we've been in Korea for, For just over three years. We had been in England for a year after that. And now it was time for us to come back home. And I picked Phoenix. I was insistent that I wanted to come back to Phoenix and I just needed to be in America for a while. Like I love being overseas. I love traveling, but I need, I needed to be back in my turf for a little bit. And I really, really, really wanted a job at this nonprofit that I had been doing a ton of pro bono work for. I didn't have the Spanish skills and they wouldn't bend the rules for me. Very demoralized, very disappointed. I decided, forget it. I'm just going to open my own firm. And by happenstance, I was working on a pro bono case that somehow, like the way that it happened, I can't even describe it, connected me to Zyra Solano. Mm -hmm. Zyra introduced me to how to manage a small law firm. And there, Arjun talked from the stage a lot about his work with David Nagel And I thought, man, if this John character is learning from this guy, I want to learn from the student and the teacher. And so right away, I started, you know, I think that there was a podcast or there was a book or there was, you know, some type of lead magnet that I consumed. And I went all in. I did a date with your dark side. I did art with art of success and I just finished uh, in this summer, I just finished a year long uh, daily, kind of like a mindset morning call that he hosts every single day. And that was transformational for me as well. So it's been three years of a lot of work with him. That's amazing. And with Steph, I, I
0: love working oh, with Steph. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and how has that impacted your business? I mean, you as a law firm owner, what, what can you tell us? What have you seen, you know, from that work?
1: I think it's hard to pull apart who has been more influential for me from a, as a business owner, whether it's been more Arjun or more David. I mean, I think they're saying the same things or just saying them differently. Mm-hmm. But my work with both, I, I just I had a wonderful experience with how to manage. I'm not a how to manage member anymore because it just, I just I felt like the I, I consumed everything and needed right. to move on to a different a coaching program, but man, I would not be where I am. I remember Arjun was the first person I texted when our firm broke a million dollars and he got on the phone with me and we had, and he was like, you know, I remember, I still remember walking around, you know, my kitchen or whatever his story was with Allie. And we had finally broken a million dollars and he goes back there and just really cares. And he helped shape who I am and my belief that I have in myself for my business right in those early stages, like a parent urging a toddler that you can walk, you know, Yeah. and working with David over the past few years, I feel like is the miracle grow on the tomatoes, you know, (laughs) it's like a small dose of this makes huge impacts. And I mean, we have a almost a hundred person employee law firm right now, and I started it in January, 2019. So I really think that anybody can do what I'm doing. I don't have anything super special other than a lot of belief and a lot of, I'm not going back. Like this is my life and there's no plan B at this point. So those have been amazing gifts that those two guys gave me. It really is amazing
0: to watch the growth and development. I mean, when you talk about running a firm with 100 employee type, you know, people in whatever capacity, I mean, what does your firm structure look like? Like, who helps you run that? I'm sure so you are not. People. Yeah, yeah, right. The whole yes. thing. Right. So
1: many people. Uh, you know, I had a, an attorney meeting this morning. There are, I think, six or seven attorneys in the firm. And we just hired a lead attorney who really helps manage the attorneys and advise them and make sure that, you know, the, that really replaced me as the lawyer in the firm, Bye. And that has, that has been my most recent, like, hell yeah, because, and I, and it's funny when I first started with HTM, they were like, yeah, you know, sometimes people are, they stay the lawyer and they find all these different other people to help run the business. But we find that most people will eventually fall in love with running the business. And I was like, I'm not most people because I really prided myself. And I still do to some extent on being a a really, really good lawyer and arguing at these, you know, doing these prestigious things. And I still aspire to testify before Congress about immigration law and argue at the U.S. Supreme Court and those types of things. But they no longer are like the feather in my cap that are going to make me you know, that was, that was it. I just did it. It would be a feather in my cap of of many feathers. (laughs) So I have all those attorneys running things. We run our firm in a pod structure. So little organizations within the organization, silos, we can call them lots of different things, but those are like six person teams and they handle all the matters with that are very specific to their specialty And then I have a wonderful director of operations who started as a paralegal in the firm and quickly became the office manager and now is the the DO of the firm. I mean, we have a sales director. We use lots of outside coaching. So it's amazing that we're all rowing in the same direction. And I think that's what keeps us cracking.
0: Oh, it's huge. Absolutely huge. Well, what would you say to somebody? I mean, I think of these you know, smaller firms, like they're earlier in their careers and people are like, oh, I don't know that I have money for coaching. I mean, what would you say about that and whether or not it's money well spent
1: even early on? I just look at people like the Williams sisters and their coaching began when they were children and Devin Booker, you know, the, the, Kind of one of the stars of the Phoenix Suns, he was born into being a bat like he had a basketball in his hands from the time he was teeny tiny. So I don't think that there's ever a point that it's too early to get coaching. I'm not an athlete, but I do have a lot of endurance. And I think that's one of the things that you gotta have if you're gonna build an enduring company. I want this company to outlive me. So I I think that it really just comes down to a decision about what kind of business you want to have. And there are businesses where, you know, you may really, and there was a time for me where I really enjoyed the stress Mm -hmm. that scared the shit out of me to get me out of bed every day, because I didn't know if I was going to make payroll. I didn't know if I was going to be able to pay rent. And so Mm -hmm. you have that kind of terror that gets you out of bed every day. And then you start, you know, you make enough money in your firm where you don't have that scaring you out of bed every day. Then you just have to, your mission and your vision and your desire has to, to lift you out of bed. And being scared out of bed, like an alarm clock is actually way easier to do because you yeah. get out with like the adrenaline pumping. You're already sweating. You don't need coffee because you are so stressed out already. Yeah. But then things shift and then you have to decide, Wow, what am I going to do today? And how am I going to make an impact? And what is the conversation I want to have with this person? And how do I want them to walk away feeling from it? Where before it was like, I don't have time for your feelings. I need you to get this done. And coaching is such an important sounding board. I worked with Kristen David and have, I mean, I got off a call with my marketing director this morning and I haven't talked to her for two weeks because I was on vacation for a few weeks in Ireland and just got back on Thursday. And I was like, Sarah, how are you? She was like, I am so good. Kristen David's mind is amazing. And she's working with Louis Scott, who's my business advisor right now. She's like between the two of them, I got to see the magic of their minds and I am on fire. I am unstoppable. And I was like, well, you have a great day then. You do not need anything from me that no. I didn't give you. So no. coaching is coaching for me is invaluable. I and love that. It's something you put on a credit card if you don't have the cash for it.
0: Yeah. Well, and I love that you're sharing it with people on your team. I mean, actually understanding the impact not only for you, but for the leaders in your office and actually developing further leaders in your office. For sure. Is that something that you do as well? I do. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's very powerful. And interestingly, I just had dinner with Kristen the other night. And so I literally was like, to my own marketing director, I'm like, oh, we got to hook you up with this person. And so I think it makes a real difference. And I think sometimes business owners can look at it as an expense, you know, as like a burden or a cost. And I very much try to look at it as a true investment, not only in the business, but in that human and, you know, whatever they're going to do, even if it means maybe I'm developing them out of my, we call ours a rocket ship, out of my rocket ship. I'm okay with that, you know, because They're going to go on, do whatever great things in whatever other place they're going to go do it. And it's all going to be good. I mean, they're still going to be a supporter of our firm. I can still support them in their development, and their career. And so I sometimes think people think about coaching and developing from kind of a fear place of, you know, what might it do and, you know, how will people grow and maybe leave? And I really think that's kind of a good thing to switch and not think of it like that and not think yeah. of everything like a pie,
1: you know? Yeah, or a prison, you know, working yeah. here and what I invest in you, you want them to give something to your company. If you want to receive, you have to give. And that's, that's got those both those arteries have to be unclogged. And I would hate to, from my company, not to grow enough to keep up with rock stars in my company. Totally. So it's like, I'm going to invest in them and make them, extraordinary. We, I, we talk about our team as a basketball team and we're going, Mm -hmm. we're going to the finals. And that really helps us look at each other, not as competition, Mm -hmm. not as slackers, but also really evaluate, Hey, like this person is not pulling their weight and we need to talk about this. And when you look at, I'm going to invest in training this person so they're an outstanding point guard because we really need an outstanding point guard if we're going to be insert who our biggest competition is right now you know in the basketball sense then that's who I need to invest in that makes the whole team better and if they get traded because I couldn't keep them here then that's my problem right it
0: is I love that I love thinking about it like a basketball team I think that's awesome
1: Running your own practice can be scary. Whether you're worried about where the next case will come from, feeling like you're losing control over your growing firm, or frustrated from being out of touch with everyone working under your license, the stress can be overwhelming. We will show you how to turn that fear into a driving force of clarity, focus, stability, and confidence that eliminates the roller coaster of guilt-ridden second-guessing and mistake-making to get you off that hamster wheel for good. Maximum Lawyer and Minimum Time is a step-by-step playbook that shows you how to identify what your firm needs and how to proactively get it at every stage of the game so you're prepped and excited for the inevitable growth that will follow. Name the lifestyle that you want and we'll show you how to become a Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. Find out more by going to MaximumLawyer.com forward slash course.
0: How do you handle those things like accountability? When you might see somebody who's struggling, maybe they're not pulling their weight at the moment. How do you and your team deal with accountability? What does that look like?
1: Well, I just, you know, while I was on vacation, had a chat with my new lead attorney, because she said, one of the other attorneys needs to go, this person is providing bad legal advice. Whoa. And you know, I'd had, a, I'd had two conversations with him leading up to that. Before I left, I had a counseling session with him. I read a book called, and this was another Steph Tuss recommendation. I read a book called No Rules Rules. Every time I say that, I realize I have like a Kansas drawl or something where it, the word doesn't come out right, but it's the word rules, like, you know, R-U-L-E-S, No Rules Rules. It's about the Netflix work culture. Oh. And it talks about, they call it the keeper test. The keeper test is if this person were to walk in my office today and tell me that they're leaving, would I fight to keep them? Mm -hmm. Yes or no. And you have to evaluate your team constantly like that. And we're really open and honest because we're a basketball team aspiring not to just have fans in the stands, but instead to win the championship. When you do not pass the keeper test, we will always let you know immediately, same day. The minute you don't pass the keeper test and we will tell you what the three things are that you need to do in order to pass the keeper test and by when, and then it is up to that person, whether they have the cuts, to decide that they're going to do those three things that they're never like, I mean, if it's just a a misalignment, then, you know, that's, that's a whole other problem. But this particular attorney had really bad communication skills, was not investing in learning The critical component of his job, which was to give legal advice. He advised our strategists. So, you know, they're giving all this legal advice and really was also not communicating with people on Slack, which is our our main place that Mm -hmm. we communicate with. So not only was when communication happening, it was not working, but then it was hit or miss anyway. So The day I decided if he were to call me and tell me, I'm going to give you my two weeks, I wouldn't fight to keep him. I called and had that uncomfortable conversation and let him know that you didn't pass the keeper test today. Here's how you can improve. And here's the deadline by which you need to do it. And what do you think about that? And it was an apathetic response. And I knew right then that you know I've given this deadline and I'm going to honor it, but it is what it is. And we have an open environment enough to where we can have those conversations mm-hmm. and people fight to keep their job or they don't. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it comes down to in terms of accountability. I
0: love that. I've not read that book. Oh, it is a now, delight. Of course, I'm so getting it when we get off this podcast because it just sounds like such a simple way to think about it as using a keeper test. And it's just, and I love the immediacy of the communication. So there's none of that, because I think a lot of things happen where it's this drawn out process of you're seeing problems and then you do some coaching and you're waiting for improvement and you got to then throw in the mix, whatever their subjective things are. And it literally can go into this months long thing. And I'm often like this was not a good use of time on either side of this equation, you know? And it just feels like that makes, I just really like the immediacy of having that tough conversation, really thinking about those three things and putting a deadline in and it being pretty quick. And I think
1: that's helpful to both sides. Totally. The benefit is both ways because the promise from our other team members is if you ever say that if New Frontier were to call me and let me go, I wouldn't fight to stay. Please let me know same day, because I want to know how we can make this a place that you would fight to work at. This is so, your one true life. And you spend 40 hours a week here. Exactly. Like you need to love working here. You don't have to love it every day. Like third day is when I'm like, man, I could really not do this today. Right. But if this is something where like this mission our vision, the values that we have, the clients we serve, the people you work With, if they're not folks who you want to fight to stay to work with and work for, let me know how we can change that. Mm. And it's been great. I had, you know, I had one paralegal and she is a rock star. Let me know that she'd gotten a job offer. She was going to accept it unless I wanted to fight to keep her. And I was like, yes, I want to fight to keep you. And she wasn't doing it in a manipulative sense. I think that. I can almost hear people thinking like, oh, well, I would just call and say that to get a raise. That's that's not how we roll. And anyone who would be manipulative like that would be found out much sooner than using oh, yeah. the keeper test to their advantage. But it was so great because not only did I get to see where I was failing her and giving her job opportunities for real growth that she wanted, but we didn't have to wait for some performance review, nice. you know, which yeah. you know we're not even really that good at because we're growing so fast. Right. It's like- who had a raise last? I don't know. Like we're just doing this, but there are so many great things about the no rules rules book that you will love and the format that it's written in is really engaging. And so it's a very easy read instead of it being super dense. Like I'm reading beyond entrepreneurship 2.0 and it's like reading a textbook. Every line is gold, but it is like reading a textbook. No rules rules is written like a conversation And not like the cheesy conversations where they're like trying to tell you a story through a story. It's really outstanding. So you'll enjoy it. I love that. Well, now I'm going to switch gears a little. I'm
0: curious. I mean, immigration has to be a pretty emotionally taxing practice area. I mean, I do family law. I consider family law pretty emotionally taxing. And how do you deal with immigration and the effects of the process and of what's going on? with the families you're working with, as well as how does your team deal with the stress of that type of practice area?
1: We really indoctrinate. One of the first things that we do in the firm with onboarding is everyone has to read the four agreements. And one of the four agreements is to always do your best. And I think that when you know you've done your best really liberates you from a lot of self-abuse. I remember... My first asylum case that I had done from the ground up, I had been an appellate attorney for the longest time because we were overseas, but the first case I did and lost and, you know, I had, this client had become my family and it was at a time in my life where we had just moved back to Arizona. I, I didn't know anybody in the state. I didn't even, I still don't even have an Arizona phone number because when we moved back. I wasn't sure that we were going to live here for very long. I was just here for now. And the military was going to move me. I had no idea I was going to fall in love with this place. and want to stay forever. And I became friends with this guy and I wanted to win his case. And on top of that, he had a kid really almost to the day, the same age as Lucy. Mm -hmm. So like kid in Mexico, this guy had been horrendously tortured by a cartel in Mexico. Should have won his asylum case, but we got to... We got a bad decision from a judge. And I remember going to my twin's birthday party a few days after we got the negative decision and just sitting there and feeling so much guilt. Mm-hmm. And it, it was like, if I had just X, if I had just Y, and this was before I knew about the four agreements. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if knowing about the four agreements would have totally taken the guilt away. Because I think it's one thing to be like, oh, I did my best. I'm moving on. It's a whole other thing to live it. But I I think that when we do fall into the hole of this is hard, this family member is of this client is really relying on me. I hold the outcome of their life in my two little sweaty hands. And I'm not even holding my own life together that well. You start having that conversation. And I think that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And I've heard that quote a couple of times and man, it really resonates with me. Mm -hmm. You're here now in this moment handling this problem because you're ready for it. And so much of it just ties into our belief about ourselves. So it is a high, it's a very high emotion practice area. But I also think that I wouldn't have it any other way. It wouldn't be nearly as much fun if it weren't oh, yeah. a little scary.
0: Totally. I agree. I mean, I love the emotional part of the practice and I find, you know, people call soft skills and I have to tell you, I mean, I find the emotional intelligence and the EQ around all of the people part to be, I mean, those are those are the hard things. I mean, even though I feel like it's part of my wheelhouse, I mean, I feel like I have to work at it all the time and really you know, turn that mirror on myself and ask, you know, what did I do to contribute to this problem? Or what, you know, what is my participation in this? And then really answering those questions, honestly, and being able to make changes. And I don't know, I find those soft skills to be pretty constantly, I mean, evolving, learning. I never, whereas with the practice of law, I'm like, oh, I know how to do that. You know, you get to where I feel like you've got this, but the people part, I say all the time, I mean, people are just stinky onions and there is never one size fits all. And the amount of learning that goes into mastering that and mastering your own brain and emotions and reactions, I mean, it's serious work.
1: It is. It is. And, you know, stinky onions just need a couple minutes of a saute and they're sweet and delicious. Exactly. And it smells so good. You don't yeah. have to know how to cook anything, you know? So it's like, it's, oh, uh-huh.
0: I say stinky onions make the best crawfish etouffee. I mean, and they do. They yeah.
1: really, really do. Yeah. Have you used the Enneagram at all in your in your oh, practice? Yeah. yeah, we love the Enneagram. I haven't yeah. fully like committed and gone all in and done full trainings and that sort of thing. But it has been really fun to work with my main leadership team and figure out what their Enneagram is, because I am, you know, a very emotional person. I have a lot of feelings that come and go, but I want everything done yesterday. And the speed with (laughs) which one of my my marketing assistants calls me Hillary Walsh, chop, chop, get it done. And I never really understood it until one of my best friends joined the firm. She'd known me since I was 17 and she's like, "No, you you have unreasonable expectations." Yes. Yeah, you have unreasonable expectations. I was like, "Don't tell anybody that. They don't know any different. We're just going to keep on keeping on." <laughs> I think that the the people aspect is hard, but it is also really rewarding. So I I don't, I don't mind it. I just came back from three weeks off. So I haven't really seen anybody in the firm too. So maybe I'm the wrong person to ask right now, but my mom is um, a very candid Kansas woman. And her favorite phrase about people is that people suck. And we all do. We all have our, um, we all have our things for sure.
0: I love that though. That, I mean, you describe yourself and literally that is me.
1: Exactly. Like what is your Enneagram number? I'm a two, nine. You're a two. Okay. I'm an eight. I don't remember what my wing is, but I'm an eight, which is like some people describe it as a bulldozer. So (laughs) it's super fun to be around me when I'm PMSing. You can imagine. Oh my
0: gosh. Well, (laughs) I get told all the time, like how utterly unreasonable my expectations are on timing. I mean, I have a person who works with me now and she'll be like, Elise is the three minute person. Then so-and-so is like the three week person. And then so-and-so is a three month person. She's like, I always feel like I'm trying to get you all into the middle, you know, kind of like in a six week timeframe. And, and I'm always like, oh my gosh, this should be done by this afternoon. I do not even understand what the problem is. Exactly.
1: I know. I know. I think that it's fear. People are really afraid they're not going to do it right. When we're doing it, no one's looking over our shoulder to make sure it's done right or not.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think some of us accept our limitations better, like in that, you know, when I put something, I'm like, it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, this is, could be a C plus job and it's going to be fine. We're not necessarily striving for a plus right now, you know, yeah, and I do think it's different i also I'm not a big sleeper, I never have been I'm one of those people that sleeps like four or five hours a day, and I've gone now, done all the sleep studies because you know it's not a lot of sleep, and they're like they're like you're just one of those people that does not need as much sleep as others you sleep oh, great. you're so lucky, well, it is. But it contributes to this bad, unreasonable expectations because my day is so much longer than a regular person's person. Day. Yes. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, well, yeah, you, you know, you got 20 hours to get all this stuff done, but really, you've got eight. So whatever. And so, I mean, I have to always be thinking about that because it's a real thing. I mean, it is. Yes, a, that a is real amazing. Thing
1: yeah I um, I think I heard that Barack Obama sleeps about that amount of time. He sleeps oh. very little as well, so you and Barry can be hanging out.
0: <laughs> I just for need the to rest get of his number seat. so I could text him.
1: <laughs> you up, me too.
0: <laughs> right, what world problems are you solving?
1: <laughs> I, I love it.
0: that. Well, Hillary, I cannot tell you how much I've enjoyed talking to you and getting to know you. And I just really appreciate your time, especially as I know you've just gotten back from vacation. I appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. And how can people reach you? Like if they would like to learn more, because aren't you also doing a group for maybe women attorneys or I don't you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. You know, I'm posting, it's not for attorneys, but it is for women. It is a, every, I think it's the second Wednesday of every month, we mm-hmm. host a virtual like zoom lunch and we have a speaker and it really is just a way for us to do personal development right. in all these different settings. So Lee Hayward is a stylist and fantastic. And she came in and taught one lesson. We had a photographer teach a lesson on headshots and why they're important, you know, like, is your headshot really reflective of who you are and who you want to show up as, or is it like you know, outdated and looks like a real estate agent and you are a, you know, creative. So it makes sense for you to have this type of headshot. So we've done those types of things and they're free. And you can find me on Instagram at the, the underscore Hillary underscore show. So the Hillary show. Oh, I love it. Yeah. My parents used to tease me that this isn't the Hillary show. And I was like, Yeah, it is. What if it is? (laughs) So that is my, you know, all these years, it was like, you need to mute yourself and you need to shut up and color basically. And so now it's like, why? Let's just be silly. Thank you for having me on.
0: Oh, well, I'm just so excited. Well, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and I hope you have an amazing week back. I always find the week after vacation to be pretty energizing.
1: Yes, it really is. I'm setting up my new office and we have a second location that we just got the decoration plans for. It's going to be amazing. So, a lot of really wonderful things on the horizon. August is going to be an amazing month. And thank you for being part of that, part of kicking it off for a great month.
0: Well, awesome. Enjoy. And thanks again. And I cannot wait to watch and I cannot wait to join a Hillary show sometime. I want to learn all yeah. those things. Yes, I will. You, I will have to get you the info. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again and have Thank a great you. day.
1: Thank you. you Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom Podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.